Hello, and welcome back. If you're joining today's lesson from where I left off on the Drunk Theology YouTube channel, you can fast forward in your podcast player to about 12 minutes, 5 seconds. Otherwise, thank you for tuning in for this week's lesson on the Challenge of the Gospel, which is going to start right now. Without further ado, let's go ahead and start uh, the next challenge of the Gospel, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and also verse 7. But we are continuing with the Beatitudes as the challenge for us to grow uh, as individuals, to grow uh, personally, spiritually, to grow in the Lord, and hopefully be a blessing to others as a result. Now, Jesus continues on in verse 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, or for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And literally, that word satisfied means saturated. They will be saturated with they will hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, uh, to think about that, wow, to be saturated with righteousness. What, what, what a powerful thought. And I'll, and I'll share, and I'll, I'll say what I mean about that in a few minutes here. But first, we have to understand something about this particular, about this particular beatitude. So what is it to hunger and to thirst for something? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for? We have to define what hunger and thirst for means to understand this beatitude that Jesus is saying that we should have. So we understand pretty much hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst is a deprivation of sustenance, is deprivation of liquids, of water, you know. But the word for means something specific. It indicates a specific desire, a specific craving for something that is missing or withheld uh, in your life or maybe is being withheld or, or you're maybe even withholding it. And so it really is talking about a craving. It is something very specific that you are hungering and thirsting for. Now, in my experience in life, uh, cravings or hungering uh, for something is usually the result of a fostered desire. And let me say that again. Uh, hungering and thirsting is usually the result of a fostered desire. You know, you know, I think recently here, oh, I think it was back in January, you know, I went to go uh, to my, see my grandson on his birthday in North Las Vegas and to see Malachi. And, and I thought I would bring him a little surprise. I brought with him my, his cousin, my other grandson, Neo, who was Rachel's son. You know, Malachi is Matthew's uh, boy, as well as Noah. And, of course, then there are the twin girls, uh, Eliana and Zoe. So Matt has four, Rachel has one. And so uh, I brought him and they were so excited to see him. They hadn't seen him in several months. And in fact, I think almost a year. Uh, and uh, they were so happy and they were having fun and playing games and, you know, doing the things that kids usually do. And then came uh, dinner time. And the kids were excited because, you know, they were going to have uh, hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. They're going to have fun food. And Neo sat there and he just, he just uh, 
didn't want to eat. He said he wasn't hungry at first, and then he finally said he didn't like it. And I said, well, what do you want? And he was like, I want broccoli. Broccoli. A five-year-old little kid wants broccoli. Now, <laughs> I, I laugh because uh, I knew there wouldn't be any broccoli in the house. I know how mad is about vegetables. <laughs> so anyway, we finally got him something. But, you know, the reason he has that desire for broccoli is because that's what he's accustomed to. He's accustomed to having, you know, greens and vegetables and, and, uh, and, and rice. He doesn't ever have mashed potatoes when he comes over uh, with me and Shelly. You know, Shelly tells him that the mashed potatoes are warm ice cream, and then he'll eat it. Uh, other than that, he, d- he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. You tell him it's mashed potatoes because he has a specific, a specific habit, a specific hunger, palate, as it were, for certain foods. It's a desire that's been fostered in him since he was a child. So with that definition applied to righteousness, righteousness is something that we need to create a desire for in order to crave it and to hunger it. And Jesus says, blessed or happy are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, now what is righteousness? That's a good question. Because the traditional uh, evangelical Christian fundamentalist point of view, and it's not wrong, is that righteousness is right standing with God. And that's, uh, when you think of it in that sense, to hunger and thirst for the peace of mind that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life because I'm in right standing with God, that to hunger and thirst after righteousness that puts me in right standing with God gives me peace of mind to know that I'm going to heaven. And, and that's an, a solid understanding of that beatitude. Don't get me wrong. That certainly would make me happy, right? It's make, it has made me happy and know uh, that, uh, that I'm going to heaven. Because Jesus said, you will be saturated with that righteousness. You'll be covered in what peace of mind to know that I am in right standing with God. You know, he says, but you have to hunger and thirst for it. So, you know, on the, on the one hand, we've already determined that, you know, the blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, uh, and, and because they come to the place of acknowledging their need of God and, 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 and blessed are the meek, you know. So, I mean, so we... Because they've come to the place they've recognized their 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 uh, their need for God. So while I would agree with that's a great that's a great way of looking at this passage, I think that there's another meaning. I think that that just barely scratches the surface of the teaching and the promise of this particular beatitude. You say, well, what do you mean by that? You say, oh. A secondary meaning of righteousness. You know, like in the dictionary, you'll look up a word and it says, okay, this is what the definition is, number one. Number two, it can mean this. Number three, it can mean this. So that, that uh, words uh, have uh, connected meanings extended beyond the obvious. And so there is something here about righteousness I really want us to look at. Now, remember, we're looking at this from an Old Testament frame. You say, well, well but Jesus, this is in the New Testament. Well, technically, it's in the Old Testament because the New Testament doesn't take place until Calvary. It doesn't take place until the sacrifice is made and Jesus dies on the cross and raises again. That's the the beginning of the New Testament. So anything prior to that is Old Testament. So I like 
I like to look at things from that frame. Not that there really is that much difference between the Old and the New Testament, to be honest with you, once you really dig into both. But with that in mind, I want to look at it in the Old Testament frame. And Isaiah 45 says this, 45 verse 21, And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. So we find out that God is righteous or that God is righteousness. You can't separate righteousness from God. And Isaiah 51 1 says this, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek Yahweh, you who seek the Lord, you who are seeking after him. Well, how are you seeking after him? Because you're, seeking, you're pursuing righteousness. It says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. So in the Hebrew frame of mind, God is righteousness. And with that as a reference, Jesus is saying to us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God, for you will be filled. You will be saturated with his holy presence. That is blessed happiness, to have the presence of God. Remember Moses, you know, on the mountain, cried out to God, says, I will not go unless you go with me. Yes, I know you've told me to do these things and that you uh, are going to uh, empower me and, author and authorize me to do these things, but I am not going unless you go with me. There's something about the presence of God, knowing the, the manifest presence of God with you that is so powerful and so encouraging and so faith-building. See, one of the desires of my ministry uh, ever since, since the beginning, back in 1983, was to bring people into a lasting encounter with God. A lasting encounter with the living God. Not merely an encounter, but lasting. Always refreshed. Always renewed. I love music. Music has always been a big part of my ministry. And as pastor, I have allowed the worship team to create an environment in our services for the people to be touched with God's presence. But worship services are only the beginning. In essence, one could say that worship services is where one can begin to develop a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for God. But you see, there's more to God's presence than a worship service because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's wherever you are right now. Though you may or may not sense it, he is there. So there's more to the presence of God than the experience of a worship service. Since God is omnipresent, we can have encounters with his presence anywhere. Anywhere. Literally. Even some of the most oddest places. But I'll leave that to your imagination. Okay. 
But my favorite place is in prayer. My favorite place to get into his presence is in prayer and in his word. But this requires effort. What I mean by that is that you have to make a decision to do it. And you have to be determined to do it. To develop this hunger and this thirsting for God. I remember one time recently here, I was with my grandson Malachi and he wanted to play a game of chess and he said, hey, Pop Pops, you know, can we, can we play a game of chess? And I said, well, um, yeah, uh, give me a, uh, about an hour from now, okay? He said, okay, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I have to go spend some time in prayer. And he's like, for an hour? I said, yeah, yeah probably. He said, is it possible to pray for an hour? I mean, he's a 12-year-old mind, you know, he's like, <laughs> I mean, he loves God. I mean, he, he insisted on being baptized at the age of 10, and, and my, my pastor buddy, Steve Baker, had the honor of baptizing him, and you know, he, you know, he says that young man has a call of God in his life. He could, he just, and he doesn't usually say those things, but boy, I tell you, so it, it was a blessing to me. So he loves the Lord. He's active in his church and youth group and what have you. But he's like, how can you pray for an hour? <laughs> now, let me say something right off the bat. It does not necessarily require that much time in prayer to begin to experience and enjoy the presence of God. It doesn't require that, but it does require something. It requires consistency. See, when we consistently and regularly spend time with the Lord, He becomes present in our life. And when we do this consistently, it begins to breed hunger and thirst for him. You know, it was like a number of years ago, a, a friend of mine, you know, uh, we were both uh, not working and, and, and both not in, in, uh, in pastoring position at, the, at that time. And, and he said, hey, let's start working out. Now, he was a, a rather well-defined physically fellow. And uh, yeah, you know what? I, this, lump, this lump of clay could use some workout. And so uh, we started working out. And we worked out together for about, I don't know, about four and a half, five months. Uh, three, four times a week. And boy, I got to the place where I, I loved it. I wanted to get in there. I wanted to do it. And, and when we both finally became employed or working at a church, you know, uh, all, all of a sudden, you know, we didn't have time for that. And I found myself hungering to do that. You know, well, it's kind of the same thing. You begin to develop that, that hunger for God if you are consistent with praying, consistent with spending time in his word and one of the challenges of developing this is getting a hold of yourself saying and determining i'm going to do this now this is the thing it's easy to get the idea that you must pray an hour every day if you listen to some people but i'm going to tell you something right now that is not true i have to say that it's a good thing to do so. I think if you pray an hour a day or more or, you know, the man, that, that, that's wonderful. And that's good for you. And that's good for your spirit. And it's good for whatever it is the Lord is directing you and speaking to you about. But it's not necessary 
for the Lord to invade your space. One thing is that if you take that mindset, it can lead to legalism. And now it's like, I have to pray. I have to pray an hour a day. I have to read three chapters a day. And that legalistic approach is what Jesus came to destroy. He destroyed the, uh, that on the cross. He upbraided the Pharisees for the legalism that they had entered into this relationship when it all started as a relationship of love in the beginning, even in the Old Testament. And he knows our life. He knows our time. He knows the challenges that we go through. He knows that we have family and responsibilities and jobs and, and, and different uh, activities that, 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 that we are committed to. He's aware of all that. And what he is desiring is that you would be there consistently. See, there are those who say that you must do this, and if you have to, you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and you, you know, they, they, all they're doing is saying, look at me. They're lifting themselves up. They're lifting up their spirituality instead of lifting up the name of the Lord. And Paul understood that. That's why in Romans chapter 14, verse 4 through 5, this is what he says. He says, who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands and falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observe it to the Lord. He who does not deserve the day, the Lord he does not observe it to. What Paul was getting at was like, you know, because there was an issue like, you know, well, no, we have to meet on the Sabbath. We have to meet sundown Friday. Others say, no, we've got to meet on Sunday, you know, because that's the resurrection day. And he's saying, you know, you're missing the whole point. It isn't about, is it the Sabbath day? Is it, is it resurrection day? It's about, are you coming together? One of the things that I loved about the church that I got saved at was that they had church every day. Now, the pastor wasn't there every day. He was there, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evenings. But the other five days of the week, there were other pastors. And, of course, you know, when I was a babe in Christ, boy, you know, I'm just excited, and I'm just going to every single time the church doors are open, man. I'm just, I'm there. I, got, I, I, I can't get enough of God. But after a few months, I began to notice, you know, it's a different crowd almost every night with the exception of Wednesday. Wednesday, I saw a lot of people from Sunday. And on Sunday nights, there were people there that I didn't see Sunday morning. And, and, and I would go to all three services on Sunday morning. I mean, I was a nut. You know, I was, a, I was bananas for Jesus. I was crazy in love, right? And, but I noticed that. I noticed that there was different people on Thursdays than there were on Tuesdays. And what I came to understand and learn was, you know, you know, at that time, that was the 80s, it wasn't 1950. Even then, you know, the, the lifestyle in America was changing. You know, people worked a variety of different hours, different work schedules, 
different responsibilities. And then you, you, uh, you look at family dynamics because unfortunately, as tragic it is, as it is, there are divorced families and there are divided families. And sometimes you have to go, you, you, your only opportunity is to go see a child on a particular day and, and have them visit with you. And all these different dynamics come into place so that maybe Sunday isn't convenient. Maybe Wednesday isn't convenient, but you know, I can be there on Tuesday. And praise God, they had services every night so that different people, based on their lifestyle and based on their, on, on their work schedule and their responsibilities to others, that they were able to come and they set aside a specific time to go to church. That's wonderful. And that's, what, that's, what, that, that's the, the mindset that says, we're not going to judge you. Whatever day you can make it, come. You can get involved, even though you only come on this day. I remember, you know, e- even as a pastor, because of some of the, the, the rules and regulations that, 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 that uh, church boards have and, and churches have, I remember, like, you know, I remember in particular one man that, that you know, he, was, he, was, he was faithful uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, but he was always gone Wednesday nights. And he was gone because he, he had, that was his only time for leisure time. On, based on the rest of his work schedule. And that was his leisure time. And I, and I said to him, because he loved God, and he was just really, you know, a, a, most of the time was there, but Wednesday nights he wouldn't be there. I knew he wouldn't be there. But I approached him. I said, brother, you know, I really would love to see you, uh, you know, you know, take, you know, the bro- this other brother's stepping down from being a deacon. You know, he's, he's, he's already served a couple of terms, and he, he needs to rest. Would you consider? And he thought, oh, I, I can't. And I said, why? He said, because I'm not there on Wednesdays. I said, I, I know that. I'm asking you. And he was so happy to be considered. But then something happened, you know, you know when, when people found out he was being considered, you know. I think some people got to him, and he finally came and said, oh, I can't do it. You know, and that was sad because we allow people's judgment and people's tradition to dictate our walk with God. You know, yes, people should go to services. They should go to church. They should spend time in prayer. But it has to be a relationship with him out of love. And the same is true about prayer. Jesus is is saying you are going to be happy if you hunger and thirst for him for his presence, for his righteousness. And so you say, well, how do I do that? It's very simple. Remember, it's about consistency. If you consistently have a time of prayer, maybe you can, you know, because of your schedule and because of the weariness of the day, maybe there are only two days a week that you can really spend time, quality time in prayer and reading. Maybe there's just one day during the week that's fine, but be consistent with it. I always encourage someone who's wanting to develop a hunger and a thirst for God's presence. I encourage them to just set aside a time, figure out what, whether it's a day, one day a week, two days a week, whatever, every other day, every third day, whatever. But determine to spend 15 minutes just in prayer and read a chapter. And you'll be surprised how quickly you're going to begin to develop a hunger for wanting to go to that next time to pray. You can't wait for the next time that you have available space. And you know why? Because every time you do, you feel his presence. 
And that presence is so comforting. It's so intimate. Now, later on, I'm going to be teaching, uh, you know, in another lesson uh, on how to have more effective prayer and intimacy with you in your prayer time, how to be effective in it. But what's important is that you have consistency, that you just pray your own words and enter into that love relationship with God, and He will reveal Himself to you. He'll manifest His presence. You'll experience that presence, and you'll experience Him speaking through, through the Word as you read it and say, man, I never saw that before. It's because God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you. And I'm going to tell you something else. You do that, and people are going to notice a difference. Shelly and I were talking this morning. It wasn't really on this subject, but she just mentioned, she says, you know, there's a lot of, lot of pressure and stress right now at work because of, of the stay-at-home stay orders and all this, and people are getting snappy. It's been six weeks now, and, and um, one particular uh, co-worker uh, was having a particularly stressful day, and she went to Shelly, and she said, you know, I've been really stressed out. She says, but when you walked into the store, she says, I didn't even see you. When you walked into the store, all of a sudden, I just felt peace. And I thought to myself, Shelly must be here. It wasn't Shelly's presence. It's the presence of God that goes with Shelly. Because every day, without fail, we have worship music going on in the home, just listening to praises and worship of God. And that's her, t that's her prayer time. She's getting ready for work. She's working around the house. But that's her prayer time, just singing songs to the Lord and, and then just talking to God, you know, throughout the day. And she has the most effective prayer life I've ever seen. She doesn't have this get alone in a room and kneel thing, you know. And it's powerful, but it's because of the consistency that's there. You know, I mean, I get to the point where it's like, well, I can't wait till she gets to work so I can put on some Led Zeppelin or some Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm just being real. I love music. I mean, I love the worship music, especially the stuff that's being produced today. Uh, I, I love the groups that are out there. Uh, there's just so, so, so much a blessing. You know, Jesus Culture and Bethel Church and uh, gosh, you know, Hillsong uh, United and and. Uh, the group out of North Carolina, uh, their name escapes me right now, but just I love the worship music that's being produced, and especially by young people. Gosh, just uh, just such a blessing. Well, anyway, let's go on. Let's. What's the second, uh, the the second uh, beatitude we're going to be covering today? We find it in the next verse, uh, verse seven. Jesus said, "Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy." You see, when you spend time with God and you've decided, I'm not going to be judgmental of other people. I'm not going to judge another man's servant. I'm going to have my relationship with God and love him. And you spend time with him and his presence goes with you and his presence is with you. And, and sometimes you feel it. Sometimes you're very much aware of it. Sometimes you're not, but he's there and maybe other people are aware of it. But when, that, when, when you have that hunger and thirsting for righteousness, you also become merciful to others. You... You, you understand they're having a bad day. You understand that, 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 that uh, there are things going on in their life that you may not be aware of. And they may be acting in, in, in ways that are just not good. 
towards you. They're being crappy. Well, I'm telling you right now, instead of making judgment calls, when you spend time with God, you won't have that. You'll be merciful. And I have a whole lesson on what it is, what mercy is, but, but um, you'll become merciful. Look at what uh, Isaiah says in chapter 55, verse 3 and verses 6 and 7. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear and you shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. I'm going to tell you right now, when you hunger and thirst for him, you will receive his mercy and you will be merciful to others. And because you have been merciful to others, I love this, it says you're going to receive the sure mercies of David because you're seeking him. But if you happen to stop, life happens, and all of a sudden the consistency you developed is gone or slowly wanes away. And you feel so far away. And maybe you, God is far away from your thoughts. You haven't been there in a while. Yeah, you did have a, 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 a really solid relationship with him. But now, you know, it, it's waned and you've gone away. And, you know, he says, you know what? I gave you mercy then. I gave you the sure mercies of David. And if you will come back. Let him return to the Lord, he says. Let him return to Yahweh. says he will have mercy on him. Wow. And do you know why? Because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. You're merciful because you've been spending time with him. And there are going to be times when you're not spending time with him. He, he knows that. But when you come back, Jesus says, for they shall obtain mercy. You were merciful. You went away. But you come back, you'll obtain mercy. That was true in the old covenant, and it's true today. If you've not been as close to God as you know you should be, or better yet, not as close as much as you desire to be. Don't be afraid. Return. Mercy is waiting for you. He loves you so much. He desires your presence and your fellowship so much. Yes, you. He desires you. How awesome is that? So I want to go ahead and close in prayer and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you create in us and stir in us a hunger and a thirst for you and your righteousness. And we obtain your mercy. And we thank you that your mercies are renewed every day so that when I fail, when I, when I walk away, I know that I can return because you're a father that's waiting there and not with a 
hammer to hit me, but with your arms outstretched to love me. Thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you for everyone that's listening to this podcast, and I pray that they begin to experience your presence and that they would know your mercy and give it to others. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you, my friends, and I will be back next week. Shalom.